0: Eventually, we're going to arrive at Luke 5, but it's going to be a little while getting there. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Luke 5, 1 to 11, I'll have you stand eventually when we arrive there. But it would be wise for us to take a little moment to recap where we've been in the Gospel of Luke up until we get to Luke chapter 5. So we start with the miraculous birth of Jesus. Soon after that narrative, we have Jesus sort of lost in the temple. You remember that story? Uh, Jesus is in the temple. His parents forget him, leave town, it seems like. Well, they didn't forget him. They just assumed he was with somebody else, right? And he's back in the temple, and they've got to go back and find him. And it's uh, the people in the temple saying of Jesus, my, he has such amazing wisdom for a guy this little. We read in the narrative of his baptism by John, where Jesus is certified by God the Father. We read about him beginning his work at about age 30. His ancestry is provided for us in the Gospel of Luke. He's tested in the desert. He's filled with the power of the Spirit as he leaves the desert. He makes his way to Nazareth, teaching along the way. He's rejected at Nazareth, which is his hometown. He goes to Capernaum teaches in the synagogue, dismisses a demon, heals Simon Peter's mother. So we know he has some contact with Simon Peter already in the gospel. He proclaims his allegiance to the gospel message and says, this is why he has come, to preach this new gospel. And what's the gospel he's preaching? The kingdom of God is here and you may Enter. That's the good news for the whole world. When the angels say, "Glory to God and peace to men on earth, on whom His favor rests," the favor of God means access to the kingdom of God is open and available to everyone, and you may enter. That's the good news. You may enter. And so we're coming to Luke five one to eleven. As I think about this passage uh, and the nuances of the story, this is what occurs to me. Consider a doctor who has treated cancer patients for 25 years. By now, he has seen everything. He knows how specific cancers usually progress. He has seen the drama play out hundreds and hundreds of times. Of course there are exceptions. Of course there are surprises. And because the state of medical technology is ever changing, he does from time to time expect to see things he hasn't seen before. But even with the changes, most of the results are predictable. Our bodies react in predictable ways. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any reason to ever develop drugs or invest time in treatments, because bodies work in predictable ways, which is very good, predictable means that similar treatments will often have similar results. Otherwise, it would just be a roll of the dice anytime a doctor treated us. But our bodies do react in similar ways because of the way God constructed them, which is a great blessing. So if in the course of treating person's cancer something very unpredictable happens a doctor will take notice they will say hmm that's nothing at all like what I expected that's that's very different than what I expected that's not routine and they'll pay attention I remember many many years ago now Nancy's doctor struggling to find the words for the rapid healing that had taken place after the accident that resulted in her broken neck. The doctor on this particular examination hemmed and hawed and said, hmm, that brace really does a great job. The brace? We knew that a good brace wasn't going to significantly accelerate the healing process that was expected to take, take much longer. And so we asked, Doctor, what part do you think prayer had in all of this? He hemmed and hawed a lot longer and responded, well, um, hmm, I don't know about that, but whatever you did, it worked. Something unusual had happened. Something that was supposed to take months took a matter of weeks and probably was accomplished sooner than that. And the expert noticed, right? The one who had seen it for years, understood how that stuff worked, he knew something different had transpired. And here we have a story in Luke 5, 1 to 11, that is similar it's a miracle story. Luke 5, 1 to 11. Would you stand for the reading of the gospel? Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, And asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets." were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Jesus is teaching. The crowd is gathered around him to hear the word of God. We don't know specifically why Jesus is here on this specific beach at this specific time. Given what we know from the other gospels, Jesus and Simon Peter are already acquainted, The gospel writer John has Andrew and Peter already following Jesus part-time. Matthew is less descriptive of the scene. Luke has Jesus at the place where Simon and his friends and family are typically fishing. And I'm wondering as I look at this scene, is this a picture of Jesus coming on a fishing expedition? We're not sure. Did he just go to see where these guys fished? We don't know. Is Jesus fishing for followers? Maybe. In any event, Peter knows Jesus well enough by now to allow him to use his boat. I mean, that's not an inconsequential matter. I mean, if you want to borrow my favorite fishing rod, I have another one I'll suggest you use. Because my my favorite fishing rod was Given to me by a kid whose grandfather handmade it. It's signed there, it's wood. I mean, it's it's sort of like an antique, it's my favorite, and I would rather use the one I got down at FARS for a buck two eighty. You know what I'm saying? Peter trusts Jesus enough to let him use his boat. Remember, the boat is the anchor of his livelihood, right? He's a fisherman. Now, Peter is still obviously engaged in fishing at this point. And at the moment, he and his fisher friends are preparing for the next day of fishing. In this particular place, you fished at night. And at some point after the sun went down, um, the fishing commenced. And when the light dawned, you processed the fish and, and repaired the nets, got them washed out and ready for the next day of fishing. So there's work to be done right now while Jesus is teaching except perhaps maybe the work to be done right now on this particular day isn't as strenuous because they didn't catch any fish anyway, right? No fish to process because they had sort of gotten blanked on the fishing scene. It is clear, however, from the way this story is told, that the focus of this event is not on what Jesus is teaching the crowd, right? Because here we're at this event and Luke tells us what about what Jesus is saying to the crowd. Nothing, right? We don't know what Jesus is saying to the crowd. We just know he's teaching them. We know that he's teaching them the word of God because that's what they've come to see. But we don't get any of that in the story. So the focus is somewhere else. But when the teaching is done, Jesus, the non-fisherman carpenter, who doesn't know these waters, who isn't from a family of fishermen who fished these waters for generations, who doesn't know the lore of the nearby water or the cycle of the fish or the process of fishing, that particular Jesus presumes to tell Peter how to fish. That's a little bit like me telling George Agnayan how to create a mathematical equation or me telling Tanya Snyder how to bake an apple pie, or me telling Mike Donnelly how to make coffee, or me telling Mark Davis how to repair the rust on the body of my 2009 Honda CRV. I mean, that would be presumptuous of me, wouldn't it? Because in all those areas, I'm an idiot. But those are the experts. And from Peter's mind, he's gotta be thinking to himself, Jesus? You're telling me how to fish? So Peter has a choice to make, doesn't he? He's already lent his boat. He trusted Jesus that far. And now more is being asked of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I think, are you willing to follow my instructions even when you're not sure that I know what I'm talking about? More than that, are you willing to follow my instructions even when you're pretty sure you know more about this thing than I know? Because of your experience or training, are you still willing to trust my instructions? And I'm wondering we wouldn't question Jesus like that, would we? I mean, we don't presume to know more than Jesus about things. We don't defer to our own opinions about things once Jesus has spoken, do we? We don't trust in our own abilities rather than in the voice of God and the word of the Spirit. I'm sure we wouldn't do that. But Peter in response to Jesus' instruction, speaks for himself. We have worked these waters all night and caught nothing. However, it's a really important word. Yet, it says, if you say so, I will let down the nets. If you say so, Lord, I will let down the nets. The process of cleaning the nets has already begun. The boats are being stored. There was inconvenience involved in following the instructions of Jesus. Yet Jesus did say so, and Peter is wise enough to comply. And you heard the story. When Peter complies, chaos ensues. Fish are flopping everywhere. The valuable nets are straining to the point of breaking. We're worried about the ships sinking. Help is called for. All the fishermen come running. Most of them help to secure the catch, which, have been, which would have been a huge financial blessing to them. One is not helping to bring the catch in. Do you notice that? One of them the expert who has taken notice that things have happened in a completely different way than they ever happen, falls in front of Jesus at Jesus' knees. He's seen something that perhaps some of the others didn't initially see. Peter sinks to his knees. This is exactly the same kind of reaction that Isaiah has in the story you heard at the beginning of the service. Isaiah becomes aware that he is in the presence of the holy God. What does he say? I saw the Lord seated on his throne. And what does he proclaim? What do the seraphs proclaim? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. And in response to that vision, Isaiah does not dance for joy. You might think that would be the appropriate response, but that is not what Isaiah does. It is not what Peter does. Isaiah does not raise his voice and sing, bless the Lord, O my soul. Isaiah collapses in deep and utter humility. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, I have no place here in the presence of the most holy one. I am unworthy to be here. It is the only appropriate response when one discovers oneself to be in the actual presence of God. When we step into God's presence, the comparison between us is so stark. As we see his majesty and his holiness, the the one who spoke all that we know into being, and we realize how limited, how crusty, how impoverished we are if we get a true enough glimpse of who the Holy One is, we will sink to our knees. That's why the Gospel writer confirms that there is coming a day when every knee shall bow in the presence of God. Because once we see Him for who He is, there's no other response. And yet in Isaiah's vision, one of the heavenly beings provides for Isaiah's cleansing. And then Isaiah is called into service. Isaiah's state or condition doesn't exempt him from service. And we know that those whom God calls, God prepares and enables and provisions. We know that. Jesus simply says to a terrified Peter, a Peter who knows something miraculous has happened, a Peter who is terrified to be in the presence of the one who has power over all creation, Jesus simply says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In that, do not be afraid. We are meant to hear these things. Your sinfulness does not disqualify you from being called. Your inability does not disqualify you from being called. Your limitations, your lack of pertinent experience doesn't disqualify you from being called. I am going to enable you to work for me. I will provide for your cleansing. I will provide all that you need And now you are going to be fishing for a different kind of fish. I will enable you to do it. And and I'm wondering, what is Peter thinking now? We don't know. But what we do know is something has changed. And not just for Peter, the story says, because in time the other fishermen start to realize something unusual has happened here. These folks who had been in the orbit of Jesus previously now leave everything to follow him. They had been interested before. They had been surprised before. They trusted Jesus enough to let him borrow a boat. They trusted him enough to let him inconvenience them by letting down their nets after they were clean for the next day. But this level of confidence in Jesus is something new. They were now staking their livelihood, their future on the claims of Jesus. They were leaving the village and community of families in which they had been raised to follow Jesus. They were forsaking everyone and everything to follow the one who was master of the sea and all that was in it. This is a level of commitment rarely seen. But it is a window for us into the majesty, power, and authority of Jesus as understood by those fishermen on that day. Luke wants us to know who this Jesus really is. He is a man so spectacular that he has this effect on the humans that encounter him. In fact, he is much more than a man. He is God's son, master of the universe, and that is exactly how he is perceived by those who witnessed him while he was physically on the planet among them. Peter, a guy just like us, not unlike you and me, when he met the Christ and understood who he was, he leaves everything to follow him. And we should take that as instructive. Now when we talk about, you know, when we talk about calling, there is a universal call given to all humans, women and men, when it comes to following Christ. And we'll hear more about that later. The content of Jesus' teaching is going to be revealed in the weeks ahead. But in addition to this universal call of uh, made of all the disciples of Jesus Christ in terms of how we are conformed to the image of Christ by his transforming grace, that's the universal call, right? Step into the kingdom, open yourself to the Holy Spirit, and by his spirit be transformed to the image of Christ. That's for every man, woman, child, teenager on the planet, right? But in addition to that, this story talks about a vocational call. This is about leaving everything else behind and trusting your future to Christ and following Christ for your livelihood. Jesus may be calling some of you today to a vocational call a switch in career, a new way forward, a participation with him to make disciples in a way that's different than you have lived previously. That may be a very threatening thing for some of you to hear if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in your ear right now. If he's saying, yeah, this calling thing is for you now, you need to like Peter, leave everything and follow me. He speaks that way sometimes. And, and rarely is that type of commitment convenient, right? Rarely does the father say, I'd like you to follow in this particular way. Oh, and by the way, it will be a cakewalk. He says it will take sacrifice. We, we all have to pick up our crosses and follow him, but some of us are assigned particular crosses, and some of us have got to respond in ways that that change our whole lives significantly. Jesus may be calling some of you today to leave everything and to follow him into his future. And I would just simply add this testimony. When Jesus calls, when Jesus instructs, when he asks, he knows what he is asking and he knows what he is doing. He does. We may look at him and see Jesus the carpenter, but who knew Jesus was the expert fisherman? It was a surprise to Peter. Who knew that he was so much more than what Peter could see? Don't forget, whomever Jesus calls, he enables. Whomever he calls, he trains and nurtures. Whomever he calls, he fits for service. And those he calls discover the joy of serving him as long as they follow him when he calls. First of all, you have to trust him enough to lend him your boat. Then you have to row him out on the lake a little bit. Maybe you have to trust him with your favorite fishing rod. I don't know what steps he will require of you so that you can arrive at the place where you can truly see him for who he is. Because in the moment you truly see him for all that he is, the decision-making process gets very simple after that. Three words come out all the time, woe is me. There's nothing left to do other than acknowledge you as Lord and master. And if he says jump, I say, how high? Right? Because he is the master of the universe. He is the one who left his throne in heaven and was born in Bethlehem, lived among us to show us how to live, Died that we might be reconciled to God, rose again to prove that every word he spoke was true and that death was finished. He is the Lord of all. And he has the right to call us, and we have the obligation to respond. And whether that's vocationally, meaning a full life change, or a step into discipleship that says, Lord, by your transformation, by your grace, make me to be who you want to be. Lord, I will follow when you call me. Will you follow him when he calls? Have you heard him call and you're still not quite sure whether he knows what he's doing by calling you? Are you still deciding whether your opinion of what you can do is more important than his opinion of what you can do? Will you follow him when he calls? We're going to sing a song in closing. And for those of you who are here at the beginning of the service, you've rehearsed this song one time. For the rest of you, sing along as best you can. But I'd invite you while we're singing this morning to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you to see what Jesus might be asking of you. It may be that some of you are being called to a vocational call to serve him in full-time Christian service. It may be that some of you are hearing a re-emphasis of the universal call of God to give yourself completely to God and to allow his spirit to transform you from the inside out that you might reflect the character of Christ. I don't know what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. I just know that when he calls, like Samuel, our response should be, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And we should add to those words, and we'll do whatever you call us to do. Would you stand with me and sing this song as we consider what the Spirit might be saying to us? me that if the Lord is speaking to you and calling you it won't necessarily happen in a vacuum and it's appropriate to talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ and to invite them to pray with you as you discern the will of the Lord and so if you have a sense that God's calling you to some particular ministry or in some particular way that's new for you find a brother and sister in Christ and say this is what I'm hearing Will you pray with me in the weeks that are ahead so that together we can discern the Lord's will and understand what the Spirit is saying? And I'm confident that the Holy Spirit has no difficulty communicating his will to us. And if we will hear him, we will know what his will for us is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We affirm that you are a God who calls your people into service. You are a God who gives us meaningful work to do in the kingdom of heaven. You are a God who sets some of us apart for full-time vocational ministry, but who sets all of us apart to give the reason in season and out of season for the hope that lies in us. And that you call all of us to labor in your kingdom, that you might be glorified by the way we live our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Call us. Use us for your glory. That we may know the joy of living as the sons and daughters of God. You have called us. We will follow. Lead me, Lord. I will go. And now may you know the joy of hearing the voice of God and following him, that he may be glorified through your life. Now and always. Amen. Go in peace.